podcast episode six welcome in this segment coming to you early November 2021 I am about to embark on an attempt to steer everybody myself included the totality of my multiplicities steer us back to a point where we left off in the last episode, which is a crucial, crucial place. That being the question of who is the dreamer? Whose dream is it? And how How can it be, how, how would it be, if indeed it is at all possible? Could you communicate with entities, people, beings, anything outside of yourself? Of course, we have this prevailing notion that you go to sleep and you're in your own, quote, tiny little world. This idea for me brings up connotations, many different connotations, you know, the hive mind, the collective unconscious, older, darker stuff, existentialism, abandonment, terror, and, um, We're going to see if we can get there. So before we put the cart before the horse, in lieu of a sponsor this episode, I'm going to pay homage to a small, small smallish, though growing, company currently based in Colorado, moving shortly to Wyoming. Some of the absolute best gear that you can get your hands on. Kifaru, K-I-F-A-R-U. I've been using this stuff for a very long time, long before Aaron Snyder, who currently leads the show over there, arrived. Um, He's made phenomenal strides and um, an Oregon boy. So I always root for him phenomenal hunter absolutely phenomenal hunter pardon me hmm. pretty much over the nasal thing but still still adjusting to the new normal <clears throat> Kifaru you will find makes 
like the best hunting packs possible. They have a few competitors, so you you got you super nerds who can afford um, to buy all of them and compare Mystery Ranch, Stone Glacier, etc. I'm a Kifaru. I like to find something and stick with it until they let me down. <laughs> Probably uh, um, a leftover from the fact that my parents are still married. Let's see if that makes any sense. Um, pockets, access- you know, accessories. Much of it started out more tactical, and then as the you know, in time to. And, don't know that anyone's in charge of this, but as the civilian market ramped up and, you know, the two, the tactical and the civilian merged in a a grand embrace, it's like we live in the golden age of gunfighting in many ways. Um, and that's obviously, you know, a large debt to the veterans who came back and imparted all that all that stuff, and then the civilians as well who refined it and then kicked it back to the military um, at various levels, and then put it into practice and paid for a lot of that um, knowledge. Anyway, you know nothing's perfected, but it is to say as well that it, within gear, um, much was advanced in a pretty short time. I mean, you had. If you guys are even, you know, a lot of you guys do remember, but, you know, you had Mountain Smith, which was um, actually kind of the, the predecessor to Kifaru. And you had, I don't know, maybe 10 largish brands. Gregory, they're gone now, all or, you know, for all practical purposes. But um, Kifaru, Aaron, Snyder there did a an excellent, whatever they did, whatever exactly their process became as far as streamlining things such that you could use them for tactical applications and you can, for an, as example, hunt elk. I am the owner of, I think, three of their packs now, and I've owned many of them over the years. Um, Whoobies, um, they make a double Whoobie, which is, in my opinion, essential and a whole, you know, a whole um, suite of, of stuff. Stoves, various ingenious little devices like the gun bearer. I'm a big fan of the gun bearer. Essentially, it's like a little caddy that you can attach to your pack belt and then clip your rifle in uh, by your shoulder strap and have both hands free. It's pretty nice. And um, Hill People Gear are the other guys that I will acknowledge. Similar, um, some crossover. I, I've been more impressed with their innovations like the, uh, the chest kit. Um, essentially, you know, it's a pocket on your that you can attach to the front of your pack, your shoulder straps there. Kind of obviously made mostly to carry pistols there. In bear country, it works out very well. I've tried it for for running. Um, not really 
not really what I wanted. But um, a lot of people find that they do work for them. So Hill People Gear is um, also in Colorado. And I have had one of their packs now that I think about it. I mean, phenomenal, made in America, truly well thought out and well-engineered, well-built stuff. So, there you go. Um, a double homage to some of my favorite gear. Quick tip from the old man um, criminal of purpose camp. This is a technique that is much frowned upon by those types who, who get agitated when they're watching YouTube videos and somebody is pointing a pistol at the camera. Of course, it goes without out saying the four firearm safety rules are cardinal for a reason. That aside, um, there's a technique that I was introduced to long, long ago that I still deploy not, you know, when, when circumstances demand. When the, when the conditions arise that it makes sense, it makes sense. And I'm not even sure it has a name. Essentially, you wouldn't want to do this with a Glock. I think I started with revolvers. Now, on this SIG 230, I have a decocker. And normally, I, you know, kind of a, a diehard Glock guy in most respects. However... You know, everything has its place, and as meant, you know, you could you could feel pretty safe doing this with um, a pistol that's that has an external safety. The other way around it, of course, is to just if your holster, you know, probably made of Kydex, is thin enough, you can take the whole thing. And for me, I'm right-handed, so if I'm in the truck say I'm going to be sitting somewhere for a while, say I'm going to be approaching some uh, canalized area, you know, I'm going to be herded through or any number of other sets of conditions might make sense to you. I just take the whole thing, stuff it under my left thigh. Of course, of course, hopefully we don't have these people listening to this podcast, but can you do this safely without flagging yourself? Yeah, you can. Um, if I spread my legs out fairly wide, right? I'm in the truck. My feet are probably about, I don't know, nine inches apart. I have my pistol over here near the console. I pick it up. I come near, you know, in, in here toward the, the wheel of the truck point the pistol in this space, this empty space between my feet, then at the seat, there's nothing below the seat, lift up my left leg, insert pistol, drop the left leg, and I have not flagged myself. Similar, I can remove it or draw it the same way. Pass the seat up through the wheel, swing to the left, to get my window, etc. 
Um, which is kind of where this makes the most sense, right? Somebody is approaching from your window and you, you, why would you wait, um, and leave your seatbelt off and all these other, um, necessities that you would have to, that you would have to enact? Well, I mean, maybe you want to do that. That's fine. Sometimes, you know, I guess most of the time I do that as well, but... This is a pretty sweet option. Um, Good for, you know, trolling, rolling down um, logging roads and the like. So if you do choose to use your holster, remember you need to grab it with both. You know, you need to grab the whole package, left hand on the holster, provide the retention to pop your pistol out. I don't know. Maybe you guys can name that technique. I think it deserves a name. It's, it's definitely not a FUD. You'd think it would, it has, you know, FUDs have used it. Um, I don't think FUDs invented it. I think undercover cops or criminals invented it. It deserves a name. Okay. So to jump right into this, I'm going to go, if I don't go fast, I probably won't be able to get to it all, nor retain it even in my mind, um, because this is some extremely dicey, certainly high octane, uh, speculative sort of, um, sort of rant territory that I'm going to be sprinting across. Harken back to the last episode, where at a certain juncture, we found ourselves discussing not only the possibility, but the potential importance as would regard opening um, oneself up to, to deeper layers, you know, accessing deeper layers. So right out of the gate, I have to take a detour real quick, because for my Orthodox listeners... Um, we'll do a caveat and that caveat is if this stuff doesn't you know if you are sort of heavy into the Father Seraphim Rose camp um, and this stuff makes you uncomfortable you know hopefully not too uncomfortable that you can't watch it like a car accident as you drive or you know listen to it Um, like a car accident as you drive by. Um, Another another potential value that you might find uh, in this stuff is with humility, you have to admit that if you are dealing with demons, angels, the Logoi, structures and scaffolding, superstructures, understructures, all manner of unknowns and of course you you know we we have our our guiding principle and that's the great gift that does not preclude the possibility that you someday find yourself in a position where you would benefit from knowing some stuff like this 
there is absolutely no guarantee that by, quote, following Christ or going to church or even being the most pious, consistent, hesse cast uh, among them does not mean that you will not face, you know, unknown and completely bizarre challenges within your life. Or is it, are the chances diminished? I don't know. I'm not sure how that works, but I could see making an argument either way. You get really into HesiCast. For the non-Orthodox listeners, HesiCast is like sort of a form of meditation based on the Jesus prayer. Um, definitely not the time to go into that. It, it would tie back, of course, into all our discussion about um, sort of softening the mind and ritual, of course, prayer, of course. Um, it seems to have some connection, but it, it in quality, uh, it supersedes like the, say, hail, you know, 50 Hail Marys um, Catholic bit. There is a repetition to it. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's the Jesus prayer. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. You'll hear a few slight variations, which I think are just for affect, honestly. But that's it. That's the prayer. Timothy Ware, who I don't know if I trust entirely or not, um, he was the guy who made, I think, the, the case that saying the prayer out loud at any type of, at any speed, um, or altering your breath patterns in order to do it was probably not bueno. Well, he didn't really go into why it was not bueno. He also seems to have evidenced zero um, indication that he's aware of like a 95% uh, breath dysfunction rate throughout all of modernity, you know, all the Western first world, what have you. He's a big fat man, you know, maybe he's got it all worked out and doesn't care. But I, I got some interesting sort of orthodox, uh, excuse me, not orthodox, but Oxford, um, you know, vibes. Um, Dismissive, a little bit out of it, um, a little bit self-satisfied. Let's say. Now, can I criticize him? Yes, I can. Will I be? No, I won't. Okay. So, returning from that immediate um, detour, Orthodox people, um, I think that I think eventually you're going to have to approach all this stuff um, more so than the rest of the rest of the world but I could be wrong in season 3 Twin Peaks you have this um, very simplified version very clear it's still incredibly powerful we talked about it last episode this moment where um a character within the show is explaining to his buddies that he had a dream. And in the dream, he meets Monica Bellucci. And Monica Bellucci asks him, 
you know, but who is the dreamer of this dream? You're already like several layers in as the viewer. You know that David Lynch is the director. He's also telling the story. You know that Monica Bellucci is an actor, actress, and um, she is acting this part. But here, in it kind of you get into the big, big part of it, which is. We are conditioned, I think, um, to a large extent. Um, you see it much, much you, you know, breaking the fourth, fourth wall is much more common now. Several really pretty ingenious movies, Charlie Kaufman, um, a lot of not so ingenious movies and novels have attempted to deconstruct this. And much of it does devolve into navel-gazing and absolutely, like, definitionally impractical sorts of, you know, questions and waste of time. The issue here is that if your enemy already plays this game, already attunes to synchronicities, um, Jung treated synchronicities I, totally insufficient in my in my um, opinion. By synchronicities here, I mean something more, something genuinely odd. Both of you showing up, you know, you with your friend, you each decided to get the same red car can be explained in technocratic sorts of means, uh, methods. You know, you guys were friends. You already had a bunch of similar predilections. Maybe you came from the same area of the country or attended the same college and maybe even majored in the same stuff. And now you're having kids at the same age. And so you both bought this car, which is appropriate to somebody with 1.5 children. That's not a synchronicity. It's not remarkable in any way. If anything, it's predictable. And the, one of the hallmarks, I think, of synchronicity is that it is not predictable. We know, having experienced all these things, that there is some relationship with deja vu, uh, you know, which is the sense that you've been here before or done this, done this whatever you're doing before. And to set up the other sort of, you know, hasty fence line, you may not know, but um, it's, common, it's common knowledge in some circles that you have the ability to sort of like free associate, you know, with absolutely anything. And once you go off the rails, you know, if, if you're a novelist, you can turn it around and and you can make art of it. If you are a bum, a schizophrenic, you know, a person dealing with, it, it's essentially just a fucking unmanageable trauma loop, you know? That's really all that is. I don't particularly want to give any credit to these diagnoses. But it's, it's easy as a label, right? I can communicate from a long ways away the type of person that I'm talking about. Just like the medical industry can communicate this 
a long ways away and um, bill them accordingly. Install them in uh, certain places accordingly, etc. So in this question of the dreamer and who is the... Let's just crack it open as best we can out of the gate, right? So if there is somebody inside your dream that is not you and is the dreamer, are you therefore in their dream, right? This is, you know, if we just hit the jets and go to the nth degree, is this entire thing somebody's somebody else's dream? Is it God's dream? Is it David Lynch's dream? Some other deity, some other demigod, multiple demigods fighting over the sacred dreamland. All of these explanations, insufficient or sufficient, however you view them, have been put forward um, over time. If your enemy is playing on these on these terms, if the enemy views going to the movie theater as what it really is, which is recalibrating your your brain state to one that is very malleable and then flickering light at certain rates, which is the case with both television and film. This has all, you know, been hashed out many, many times. We're not, at, you know, in the podcast where we're going to fight about it. We're in the podcast where we're trying to deal with it. The War Horse Podcast. Okay, so if your enemy is dealing in this uh, type of warfare, call it what it is, and the question would, would eventually come to mind, I mean, one, why? Well, maybe it's just very effective or cheap. and But also... Was this actually, was this the only way? Was this an enjoyable way? Hoffman, as mentioned, explains this through a sort of mockery, humiliation, cruelty. And there's something to this for sure. Um, outside, outside tribes are not treated in the same manner that um, transgressors within the tribe, of course, are treated, right? So to take another stab at it, a slightly, you know, an oblique angle. 
if you had two different people in one dream, let's just say it's some third party's dream, and they want to communicate, they're going to need some common language. If you quickly examine, you know, the theories of language that are put forward, um, very quickly, you know, you have the notion that, well, there's meaning uh, that needs to be shared, and how do you, how are you going to do that? You know, animals presumably do not have, are not faced with the same level of complex behavior so they don't need to develop language or they don't need it at all even though they do make a lot of noise and they do seem to get a lot of stuff done we presume that that's not the case that that's not a language which is utterly retarded of course everything that Noam Chomsky has put forward that now stands as kind of um, you know, not on the level of Darwin in terms of, well, that's, that's just how it is. You know, these people who are, well, evolution, it's still a theory. But these people have moved way past the theory stage into its fact. And they, of course, they cannot twist their lives or their own behaviors back into accord with that because it's not a real belief. It's not even believable. Similarly, with the language thing, what I see is, if you watch babies, I, yeah, I mean, we have a mouth, and that mouth has a limit, and so presumably there are limits to what most people, you know, the noises, types of noises that most people can make. So it sort of does make sense, well, language would be at least somewhat limited to that. We wouldn't all be Tuvan throat singers and it would be difficult to develop and impractical, etc. But um, I think his name is, he's a Russian guy and he has, you know, put forward an alternate theory of language that's essentially saying like, you want to do stuff with, in a social sense. You know, there's this other living being that you have a desire to interact with. And so language sort of arises from, from your desire to, to interact with them. Does that sidestep the, the Chomskyan line? You know, I don't, I don't think it does because if we did, we would be going along with the idea that, you know, meaning... Um, meaning is in the, in the way that the liberal thing does is both limited and unlimited and you know we in the orthodox camp and related camps approach this as you know everything is discovered um, it's, it's forelaid and Along these lines, it just makes more sense to me that language would arise as almost like the birds, you know, like, yes, you have things to communicate, but you also just want to call out to your friends and call out to your loved ones and express joy. You know, babies will just scream with joy. It has absolutely um, a very clear meaning oftentimes. Sometimes it doesn't. 
So if nothing else, at this stage in trying to dissect this, you know, we've introduced, I think, enough uncertaintism that the question of language might be a decent or halfway decent pry bar with which we can start to uh, gain some purchase into this idea of the dreamer and the dream. Everyone has this experience where you, you kind of wake up into the dream. I have never heard a single dream story start with, so I traveled through this kind of grayish um, miasma and then I came to um, the beginnings of an escalator and I could tell that I was entering into the dream state. This doesn't happen. What happens, of course, is you sort of, in, in, in your physical body, usually you are, you know, you're at some stage of waking up. You're rising out of one of these levels of REM sleep, which again, from this physical etheric combination, why would you need to have REM sleep in order to recharge? I guess you, your scientific version says you need to dump out all of this like excess sort of synaptic energy and clear out the, um, you know, the hard drive, so to speak, even though these are very faulty metaphors that are never completed. Um, or, you know, your actual big ball of cholesterol within this hardened armor skull requires rest of some sort. Um, we occasionally some some of the metaphors are good, you know, like we recharge, we feel recharged when we, um, emerge from a good sleep. Famous, um, David Mamet line. You ever take a dump and feel like you just slept 12 hours? Was Mamet directing our attention to the, um, the microbiome brain connection, even back in the late 90s. Perhaps he was just ahead of his time. I'm not sure. But the language around it itself uh, can't all, you know, the colloquial level of language. Um, and for us, you know, this is an argot, I believe it's called, you know, where we develop our own sort of cloaked language. Um, in order to further discuss these things, which is what the Warhorse podcast is doing, if you've not caught on, or caught if you've not caught on to this yet, if you ain't caught to it yet, um, in the argot that we've used, we've described it as the mold, as this limiting draining, restrictive, ectoplasmic, both physical, uh, you know, at some point it, it, it meets between the worlds. This is not just, you know, some other concept. This is not a stand-in for the matrix. This is not a stand-in for similar types of ideas. It's a rather specific thing. 
It's but you know, just go back to the original episodes where we're looking at fascia and we're looking at knots in your muscles and we're examining these questions of stamina, strength, energy in relation to how you as simply stated, you know, how you view yourself, how you view your potentialities and where we've wound out this out now to is how you view the multiplicities of yourself and how you relate you know, you within, I, I, we can't even really say that you relate to your multiplicities, you relate within the multiplicities. And why are we doing this? Well, again, introducing some uncertaintism, leveraging this feature of existence of our minds, um, wading into the gray area Um, that Heidegger described, you know, at the edge of the great clearing, which I took to mean, you know, the edge of knowing, the edge of what you can even imagine. And if we're just going to sit around and roll out of the vehicle and grab the shopping cart and get into a little buggy, some of us, and then drive around and fill up our fucking shopping carts... You know, the least we could do is to start investigating the gray area at the edge of Heidegger's clearing. If this is just going to wind out into lives of comfort, substitutional activity, what have you, it would, it would at least that would be my predilection. Maybe some people just simply Epicureans and, and whatnots, you know, you know, the simple pleasures of life are enough. All right. All right. Um, I have speculated that a lot of our disagreements and such actually just come down to disagreements about, you know, what is uh, meaningful behavior and not leisure time has arisen, you know, pretty pretty late here in history and I don't think that there's a lot of agreement or uh, guidance or maybe it's tribal, you know. Certain tribes seem to keep their children in line very well. Um, I don't believe that this is explained by the liberal narratives of... Um, you know, second generation immigrants and all this stuff. This is all just um, like one time, you know, one off. It's, it's hardly a pattern. All right. So hopefully we've broken this apart enough to see Perhaps there's, there's some utility to this question, to examining it further. And where I've gone thus far with this talk is um, raising this question of how would you communicate with a, some, something. Let's say it is just entirely interior to you in fact, but it presents itself in your dream as exterior. One, it's not you. Maybe it's, it. you know, again, the... The thing about dreams that we should have touched on a moment ago is they're tonal. They're very rarely, in my experience, without tone. There's, an, there's an, either an ominous, sort of um, pervasive 
emotional type of uh, drama or sense about them that seems to be far more informative than anything anybody says or a large part things that people or yourself whatever is done in the dream is sometimes just baffling but yet the tone is entirely clear and this brings me around to this question of how would you communicate and you do have various you know other opportunities to communicate outside of this language or that language and uh, symbol is you know language can be stated well that's a verbal representation for this symbolic you know faux meme mini meme Dawkins meme etc meaning a unit of meaning um, the tactile would seem closer to me in terms of tone maybe that's because as somebody who spent a lot of time fondling instruments I associate you know the tactile with the tone but as as has been pointed out you know tone music sound these are not just sound it's not as if a sound emanates a vibration emanates and this is picked up by your ear by you know a tiny drum like membrane in your ear and that that's interpreted based on long-term hardware and you know software updates to use these stupid computer metaphors but just once Um, and so if you stand in front of a bass amp um, you feel it in your chest it's moving the the flesh of your body And in the same way, you know, uh, with REM sleep, you have a variety of studies that have located and identified types of brain waves, activities that can be measured where we fall into these frequencies. As the novelist, you know, it's, it's here that I am reminded that the next step chapter 7 so to speak you know needs to refer if not be devoted to this equally bizarre and very much associated fact set of facts regarding vagal nerve um, heartbeats and, you know, maybe we pull the Portland Yoga uh, mini covens, micro covens back into this and start to pull apart this phenomena where people, human beings in relation to each other begin to, their, their various rates, blood pressure, breath rate, um, waves, begin to harmonize. And we have, again, the the introduction of language, you know, uh, of this musical language. And if you're like me, you know, I'm going back to ancient times and 
Uh, so were these people onto something with the, the music of the spheres? I really am upset in the way that these questions are dealt with because they're usually just dismissed. There's usually very little um, effort placed in to try and suss out what, what were these people actually putting together. How did they arrive at something like this that has remained this long, even though marginalized? Anyway, um, so likewise, you know, you wonder if in the same way that you take a walk with somebody, um, and you may not know this, or you may know it, but your heart rates, even at some distance, begin to find time. Um, find an accord. Breath rates, therefore, are you know are affecting your brain state. What what bandwidth you tune into um, is now up for like debate. You know, you um, are you fighting? Is there a fight? I think sometimes there is a fight. I think there's a power struggle that occurs on these levels, and this would start to explain why we just spent 40 minutes breaking all this stuff down. To clarify, for you guys and myself, we have just dismantled the dream, the dreamer, various related concepts, synchronicity, etc., and wound our way back to a position where capital S science is telling us and not in a you know entirely politicized way. I don't think that that's stuff has been going on for a, for quite a while. Like easily going back to the seventies. So science has arrived us at a at a point where we know um, sub rasa. Uh, there is there's communication. There is attempts. Uh, at harmonization of the physical slash etheric level at which we exist, that level of our beings. That, you know, might, you could maybe personify that and you might have a daemon or some other um, element of your multiplicity within. Yeah. So, if you're at the grocery store, like I just was, I am, I, I've taken up the, the reverse backside position. I can hardly make out authentic Mexican food, but uh, we're, we're in contact. I can, I can move to a more advantageous position if need be. Right now, I am staking out the Indian cuisine restaurant and as you'd expect you know kind of a different crowd so are the liberals entering the the Indian cuisine place I don't know presumably I'm in a pretty mixed area so and the, you know the the quote conservatives who are coming over the border to to patronize where else but authentic Mexican food right they're over there uh, talking about popping out more Catholic kids and um, voting for Pat Buchanan or his his like. I'm sure. I'm certain. 
The point here is to say that if these levels exist, are they not more primary? We have established that we do not necessarily even think as human beings. I know this is true. If you pull yourself apart a little bit, you'll find out this is true as well. You set up, you set yourself up for patterns, you set yourself up for failure, for happiness, for success. This is all, this is the whole grift, right, on, on fucking Twitter or wherever else. Um, that, and it, yeah, sorry, there's some truth to it. You don't need to pay anybody 20 bucks a week to figure out how to, how to just yank it apart and do it. You can pay me five a month and I'll do it for you. I'm just kidding. Uh, it was too, it was too easy not to grab. So, before this point slips away, the whole point here is to say that if we are not even really actually thinking beings, we are subject to a kind of corrupt internal microbiome culture that's being passed around through, honestly, you might as well make culture, you know, McDonald's versus Chick-fil-A or, or whatever, whatever else, uh, oat milk. The results of oat milk in your gut, what would it be? I don't know. But that and like Thai cuisine probably whips up a different um, set of dreams. Well, that's the other thing, right? How many times have you heard older ladies say, um, you know, they had a weird dream. They think it was the Chinese food. MSG versus glycine. Maybe uh, Bap and I can touch on that someday. Perhaps not, but if you're in a state where we're working towards a giant literal monoculture on the level of abstraction of the fields in Iowa and the fields in India and on the, the level of the mental fields in terms of wokeness and, you know, uh, the opposite, which is absolute um, maniacal, uh, you know, genocidal fucking hatred, uh, whatever... But, you know, that, that was the point of uh, an episode ago. Like, uh, we, better, we better quick start offering up a counter-narrative to, to what this is, you know. This is the ground that's untaken. What I'm, what I'm taking right now is, I hope, uh, I don't have any illusions of, you know, anything in the way of grandeur, but I'll take it. And whoever else 20 years from now can grab it and steal it, just like I stole most of it from somebody else. Uh, it's fine. But this very well might have to be the ground that we stake our claim. And third time, so this point doesn't slip away. If we are in this position where microbiomes are actually competing for your, quote, external identity that such you bought the BMW versus the Toyota and you decided that for, because the nice lady on TV said tax rates are going up for these people or down here and you're making an attempt to be a very, you know, uh, responsible person or you're attempting to say, fuck the government, uh, then that's how you made that choice. I don't believe that this is true and you can see this because people are riddled from top to bottom with internal and external inconsistencies, contradictions. To do the trivium upon yourself is part of the exercise, is I think maybe the whole exercise when you, when you get down to it, to know thyself, right? And 
if microbiomes give rise to some portion, some quotient of identity and behavior, which they evidently and quite obviously do, then I don't think what you arrive at is like, well, we need to control all the food. No. It brings up this question again of which, where's the primary charge? You are recharging when you sleep. There is something I would suggest, what I will posit in this talk, is that you, as the hippies say, are, uh, if, if you're sleeping well, if your diet is good, um, and you've cleared the inner monologue, basically you've done your monk work, you wake in a much, much different frame of mind than if you do not. Everyone knows this. And there's nothing... I have great affinity for all of these other mindsets. You know, the drifter, the hangover, the grinder. There's, there's important lessons to be learned all over. That's probably why God made all of it available to us and didn't just simply restrict us to this one perfectly harmonized ohm that we all may or may not arise from. What he has evidently done is given us this free will to either, as Hoffman pointed out, generate some defiance, some oppositional power, a charge, and collect this and point it at our oppressor. Does our oppressor dream the dream? Are we within... Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's pretty self-evident. All of the language surrounding it, right? Going back 10, 12, 15 years to the Matrix for sure. To Dune even, you know? What was he referring to? The sleeper must awaken. I do not believe that Frank Herbert operated on the level of ideology. He was... Um, just read one or two books he didn't he was not limited he merges islam uh with other myths yes i said myths tough shit um he merges you know monarchy with sort of representational types of um i don't know that we can even I mean, certainly the caste system um is worked in there. He has a pretty strong take on technology, doesn't he? Um, so the point was, we do seem to be, as my friend pointed out, in a type of, I don't know, 20, 30, 30 year cycle where we are asked either by the tribes and entities that run the powers and principalities, perhaps better said, that run Hollywood, you know, in, to the extent that Hollywood even exists right now in 2021, um, to dredge back, you know, to finally make good on, on Mr. Lynch's failure. I don't think it was a failure, but I think he regards it as a sort of clusterfuck sham 
I thought it was great in his hands. I've yet to see the new one, though it sounds like it's worth seeing And now that we're talking about it. So, the sleeper must awaken does not mean, even in Herbert's terms, the sleeper must awaken to the truth of Allah. The sleeper must awaken to the truth of a of a technocracy cloaked in um, enlightenment liberalism. Nor does it mean the sleeper must awaken to, you know, the reality of um, the apocalypse. And some of you may at this juncture, I, I might sense you off in the future timelines, leaning towards or you know grasping towards um, a type of a type of collectivization um, as would regard you know the the mass waking up. I do not believe there will be a mass waking up. It seems to me that you know our talk about fecundity, illustrates in its abstract way uh, our, our, our state of things regarding you know the female uh, western involvement of the female and the, the perversion and the twisting thereof and how this might very well relate to the etymology behind this word culture um, we're not all just going to uh, maybe we could I, I shouldn't limit it perhaps we could you know brew up the ultimate um, kefir and keep this a secret recipe and then um, develop like an underground transit system and this would thereby bind us together um, on the etheric level such that we could recharge. Fuck, I mean it might be that but the point of this talk is really ultimately to, to break things down far enough so that we are at, le- at least open to the idea that the real battle space is not just even going to be, yes, it's cognitive. And it has been for a very, very long time. It's psychological. And it has been for a very, very long time. I need to make a quick note to read this... Um, you know, the CIA, CIA gateway release, but I want to print it off at uh, a Kinko's or something and, and give it a, a full treatment because this is definitely up my alley. If we've arrived in, in such a condition, it would explain a lot. It, it would be a theory that I believe has what we've termed in this podcast profound or great explanatory power, actually. It ties together the obesity, the diet, the education, the repetition of these things through programming on television, movies, music, the absolute urgency uh, in controlling all these things. Why could not uh, alternate views proliferate? Well, people might think. No, we know people won't think. We know plenty of people probably personally, who read Jordan Peterson's 12 blah 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 rules or whatever, 
I, I don't know the title. I'm not being dismissive of him in this case. I'm just saying, to me, he opens up a very clear road to the mysteries of Orthodox Christianity. But to many people, this appears to be a type of uh, self-helpy, you know, something you could pick up on the carousel at Kinko's. And um, neither here nor there, I suppose, but we've arrived at a place where, you know, somebody even, uh, I mean, hardly um, Alexander the Great, right? Hardly even Uncle Ted. It's so straightforward and simple common sense sort of stuff that there's, a, there's an obvious desperation in this control. Um, at the same time that many other streams seem to be finding confluence. And we've spoken of the quickening spirals, the consolidation of power, the roll-ups here, there, and everywhere. And we also have this feature where we're living now for two years in a state of constant uncertaintism. Does, is it even common knowledge whether or not the White House and this whole mall area, <clears throat> are, st- are there still 20,000 troops there? I don't know. I'm looking at a guy walking across the parking lot, going to his car, clicking his, you know, in his shorts, it's just your classic sort of slovenly out of it sort of character, maybe mid-30s, early 30s. It doesn't matter to this guy, man, whether that's happening, whether um, we are, and we are, you know, we are in, if, you, if you're familiar at all with the sort of strangeness of the the earlier and uh, 80s revolutions down in Central and South America, the literature on these, uh, in terms of like a, a, a psychotic break happening amid the people, is super clear, super super clear, and and you know quite scary in many in many regards. And it seems to me that yeah, this would be the sort of again psychic ground, cognitive ground. There's no. I can look in uh, 180 degrees. I'm probably the only armed dude here. There's nobody forcing this anymore. So, friends, um, confidants, exceptional beings, take this hour of discussion and pass it on. Pass it on to somebody who might amplify it or challenge it or take a giant shit on it. I don't care. My case simply stated as as just rolled out over about an hour of our shared time here. Yes, include the context of the other podcasts where necessary. But in this episode, what I'm communicating or attempting to is that we're on a new battle space. It is no joke to say that this is now a spiritual war in the sense that ectoplasm is spiritual, that the mold, that there is, the rubber does meet the road. The physical meets the psychic at some place, and that some place is not so distant. And perhaps this slack, the laxity with which we have approached and denigrated um, 
what is, you know, actually probably a fucking astonishingly awesome and, uh, to me anyway, fascinating, mesmerizing slice of existence of being, you know, this being all these potentialities. Have we allowed the grand overarching narrative that molded our parents' opinions, their friends' opinions, your coaches' opinions, your bosses' and your, quote, your opinions into into the very box in which you're supposed to be, which is excessively performatively logical. And I don't mean like, you you, you, you mainlined the logos, bro. You just f- fucking found reality. No, I mean, you traded the inherent uncertainty of, of the space, the true battle space in front of you because you're not, you don't feel up to it for one. And the reason you don't feel up to it is because you bought a lot of lines over a lot of years about how this is hippie shit, this is crystal worshiping, or I'm sorry, even with the Orthodox, the Orthodox tradition is one of uh, pure magic, constant. And that, in in way too many cases, has been reduced to a type of uh, rote, which is necessary. Look, I'm... 1,000% the guy who shows up when, he, when no one else wants to show up. That is me. And maybe from that, you know, I found this balance to say, uh, yeah, the haphazard, the unexplained, the serendipitous, the quote coincidental versus the, cons, the conspiracy. The breathing together, right? There's the nice way to tie it all up at the end of this episode. To conspire means to breathe together. What happens when we breathe together, recent science is telling us, is that vagal nerves, which relate to basically all of our well-being and in large extent, therefore, our identity and our mindset, our attitudes in any given situation. So this old idea of who you spend the most time with is kind of who you are. Once again, the old wives and their tales have won out. Okay, we'll leave it there for now. And then she said the ancient phrase, We are like the dreamer who dreams and then lives inside the dream. But who is the dreamer? One interesting thing about America is that while the attitudes, people, norms have changed, you'd, you'd say like radically, right, in, so, in many regards. And there's many, many more people packed into smaller and smaller spaces. 
as opposed, say, to like 1975. There's, you know, obviously technological changes have been made, the phone space has been made smaller in some sense. You see where I'm driving. But on on the flip side of that, almost another way of viewing it, like nothing much has really changed. People still get into the automobile, drive down paved roads, stop, get gas, get food, get entertained, get back in the vehicle, drive back to a house, And it makes you wonder if the pressure to move over to electric cars, to live in the pod, eat the bugs, own nothing, do away with the suburban just-in-time shipping sort of models. If some of the pressure to make it seem necessary and real, coming from the very top, of course, the various Steens, the Sunsteins, the Weinsteins, isn't just another case of, like, buy new product. New product coming soon. Get excited to buy it. Nobody, I don't think, that analyzes this stuff is silly to believe that living in the pod and eating the bugs will be in any way fun. But those that do not necessarily analyze it too much, who already are maybe not so far from living in the pot and eating the bugs. They may very well find it, um, find it appealing and just be moving, you know, sort of among the masses gravitating, waiting to be pushed like brine shrimp on the current. And then you have the defiant on the far other side. But this is an example of this question. We are like the dreamer who dreams and then lives inside the dream. This is the level that pisses me off about this whole thing. When this sort of question, Shuang Tzu, how's he phrase it? I woke up from from a dream where I was a butterfly. I woke up as a man. But how am I to know that I am not a man who will wake up from this dream and be a butterfly? Something like 2,500 years ago, 
it's truly the ancient question. Jim Bridger, Kit Carson, certainly the the Indians, the more primitive tribes. This question could be pondered, passed down, dreamed, you know, about, so to speak, contemplated, let's say, together in groups. You know, you could eat some some bufo toad poison with your buddies and smoke a little tobacco and ponder this over a lifetime. And it would be incredibly rewarding. It is incredibly rewarding to take this angle on your existence. I would wonder if we could do a poll somehow. It would never be honest. How many people have experienced the sort of pleasurable ambivalence at the heart of this question? To really ponder it requires that that precondition of an ambivalence towards not order entirely, but maybe at the um, at the alpha level, the omega level, what have you. Because insofar as sacred time, dream time, has been entirely either dissipated and run out of the average person's mind, you know, we simply do not have cultures. Even, you know, the new immigrant cultures coming in or the older cultures that were transplanted before and in some ways cling still orthodoxy, Catholicism, the Amish, what have you. The Amish, I suppose, are really an exception. They might be the guys to go and speak with about this, but having been pushed out from any sort of foundational natural experience where you could have a base from which to examine this idea who is the dreamer who is the dreamed I think therein you know you kind of start to be drawn towards the answer the movie house the video screen the bank teller screen the various dopaminergic destructive you know to the endocrine system all these false lights certainly the false light of 
like all television is largely to blame. Um, I don't. I don't know that you could. It might be an interesting intellectual exercise to see if you could parse out things like still adhering to the vehicle on the concrete road as you know in philosophical terms um, is that somehow satisfying is it merely substitutional activity etc could you separate that entirely from the media I think you probably could I think you'd have something closer to the 80s and believe it or not there was you well you know you could make a case that the 80s were uh, more boring or more interesting I mean you could make the argument either way because there was more latitude but again the distance was was larger between people And everything has quickened. Everything has, from a social point of view, tightened, become more cramped. The boomers did not, you know, age gracefully. Gen X never really became, never, I mean, not to defend them, I am Gen X, but the space to become an adult in the sense like leave it to beaver and go to your job and come home to your wife and kids was never provided at all. Gen Z, millennials, in my opinion, still entirely lost, not really worth. I think that all of the social media and academic sort of discussion about them is just simply to lure them in to view their own bullshit in the mirror. So speaking of mirror and the dreamer, and if we're not clear, you know, the cryptocracy, in one sense, is, is the dreamer. And they seem to have this push-pull relationship with you, where they want to affect you, they want to do psychic driving, as Hoffman says, and use twilight language on you. But they want you to keep, like cows, just ambling forward, and then, you know, they kind of apply some pressure here and apply some pressure there eventually even now everyone's just all lined up but you know 30 years ago they were lined up as well make no do not be confused if you were not around if anything in some ways things are you know more volatile much much more volatile now and this isn't just a result of the pressure this is a result of the internet widespread information and um, it's still a good argument that all of this pressure now is supposed to take another 200 years to just really transition from the strip mall into the strip mall apartment you know model uh, is a result of of this proliferation of information and point of view from the internet so I was on the edge you know way back in the day in 2001-ish or something 
I didn't really understand who Jeffrey Epstein was at that time, but uh, some of the others I did understand, Lanier and these fellows doing their hypotheses about the impact of the internet and of the computer, etc. It was pretty heady shit back then, and everyone involved has been a disappointment, as far as I can tell. If not, you know, even much worse than a disappointment. I mean, I don't think we've gotten to the bottom of what all was going on at the edge.com back then. So, you know, in this module, I am staked out once again. I've returned to, to my Overwatch position on the Indian Cuisine joint. I've got my 230 right now tucked below my left thigh. And some son of a bitch in a minivan has pulled up a little bit tight on my side over here. But I am comforted. You know? It's, it's a tactic, technique, that's really worthy of consideration. Oh, this is the owner, I believe, of the Indian cuisine restaurant. That's why he's acting so ballsy. Nice gold bracelet. Limp. Many, many years behind the grill or the wok or whatever they use in there. So, kind of transitioning here from this idea that the cryptocracy. Now, don't get me wrong, you know, I, need, I should clarify this. Do they dream the big dream? What I think they do is they, they use cognitive warfare. That's what this whole thing is. I apologize for brushing the microphone there. This whole thing, and to go back about 12 steps there, I tire, I tire of the constant politization, you know what I mean, making um, metaphysics political, as if to appeal to social media audience, as if to appeal to this idea that all things are political. All things are not fucking political. Political things, social things, are oftentimes political. That's it. Just because people are scared now, or more scared than they were last year, and they're really worried that nobody's going to do shit, and that they'll have to give up their particular vice, I don't fucking care. And I don't, I don't, not, I don't care whether or not some man-made label of left, right, or representative government or legislation or any of this shit uh, wins out or succeeds or is succeeded by some other man-made invention, it does not matter. It never has mattered, especially with regard to this question. What would matter... If we expand a, a bit more on this idea, like, imagine you're in a, some primitive culture and you did have this time to smoke some, some toxic frog skin and get high and think about it. The multiplicities of those people are, on the one, on the one hand, perhaps less in number and 
somewhat counterintuitively also less defined because if you only knew 12, 15, 40 people and those, the, the mimetic qualities of them, you know, informed how your inner multiplicities express themselves, it would be a little bit more difficult to locate a center, you know, an originating point. You might have like, you know, some really strong character and he's your your chief and so he stands out in, in your psyche perhaps or you have some, you know, weird relationship with him or a positive relationship with him. But one of the benefits you can see from the, the hive-like creation that is fast becoming reality, you know, where there really will be these little hexagonal coffin-like uh, studio pods that we plug ourselves into at night and then go down to work at batteries and bulbs or sport clips or what have you. One of the benefits um, that the primitive man had was, again, counterintuitively, like, more latitude to negotiate the question. Where, where they didn't have this one intense um, diversity yet anonymity ant-like, right? Hive-like. I don't know if ants know each other on a personal basis or not. It would seems hard to imagine they do. You know, sort of militant and mindless as they seem. Not like cats, right? Not like dogs. Not like kangaroos or various mammals or even certain fish. Or should we say sea-dwelling sea creatures? I'm not sure if uh, like a cephalopod, an uh, octopi, is, uh, is a fish. I guess it is. Either way, um, with this intense, I mean, you have this Bob, this older Bob Dylan movie, old, I say, like it's his most recent, but um, masked and anonymous, right? That's somewhat prophetic. I think it's 15, maybe even 20 years old now. And in the anonymity, including the anonymity that has been effective, you know, the online right-wing anonymity is very limited in scope. It's a tactic. It's a good tactic and effective for the places, um, you know, some of the constraints that we're under now. But moving out into the real world and making an attempt to know thyself would be more, you know... I, I would think more uh, more free. You, you would have a more expansive time doing it um, 
you know, and I, I hesitate because you do have this experience in the city, you know, when you're inebriated or when things are moving fast. I haven't had it for a long time because I don't really seek out those experiences much anymore, if at all, for quite some time. Um, but you can achieve it, I guess. It would be hard to hard to relate to it personally now. But in this, like, compression, um, and yet the compression taking place on a type of continuity of basic behaviors. Back up the car, fill up the car, drive the car home to see the family. Don't see the family when I get there, stare at my phone. Um, listen to my wife, you know, talk about train. Who knows? I mean, it's totally fucked up when that part gets there. And and that's one of these tactics. One of the, well, It's not a tactic so much as maybe an explanation or a point to pull apart to try and understand the tactic. Because the cryptocracy has used for years seemingly big pulses of humiliation, degradation, um, uncertaintism, etc., what have you. And then, as you can see, after 9-11, it was almost as if the bars in the rear were, were scooted up, you know. So you have lost space. You've lost mental space, psychic space, physical, political, legal, emotional, all of these things. And it's just kind of occurs to me now, but the entire the the entirety of the interiority, these spaces have been yielded with almost no fight, with almost no commentary. Much of this was accomplished by controlling the arts. Much of it is accomplished, you know by uh, controlling the sort of narrative about the arts. You can, you know, they, it's easy enough to control who gets to be a rich and famous artist and then get them to say what you want them to say. It's kind of another thing still to control, you know, the commentary about it, what its state is. And you... If you went to any sort of liberal arts education, you know, much of this is now obviously filled in with just pure horseshit, um, critical theory, deconstructionism. These things have been around. They were around when I was in college. But it was, I, I don't know, I, I just flat refused it was just so evidently a construct placed on top of something that was not meant to be experienced in that way. And then it was also just so stupid and so weak compared to what I myself could imagine into that story. I may be exceptional in this regard, but I've known people I've, uh, who, who certainly can compete It probably is a sticking point with me. 
that's you know another piece of how we all wound up here dreaming this dream together so this psychic space that has been seeded is to me you know it's inclusive of just like the Orthodox Church, we say, is not a courtroom, it's a hospital. It's a hospital for healing. In this same way, you'll see a lot of these healing modalities. Um, it's, it's sort of silly, right? I mean, the level of our sophistication as would regard these more ancient healing modalities. Um, not even that ancient. I mean, allopathic medicine is very young. But it seems to me that, again, the media has skewed this and made it stupid. We didn't even have the space to sort of uh, rekindle some relationship with ourselves and these different modalities, right? So we relate to them in like primitive terms, like drum circles and uh, rain dancing and all this sort of stuff, which is completely, it's fine. I mean, it's, if that's what you want, go for it. But it's not, it's not necessary at all. What's necessary is an intelligent, reasoned, and explicit you know, uh, description of these things. A rhetoric, if you will, that's appropriate and not full of contradictions. And in this, in this way, what I would offer you is that insofar as like breath work, death work, yoga, ritual, the warrior's way, what have you, and many, many others, these are ways, if, I, if it's not clear, to commandeer the inner landscape of yourself and it's going to be it's going to be ground that's taken quite easily and as you do that this corresponding ground of you know you've healed and you've opened up not just space but potentialities um again in the in the sense that the the physicist um might use the term and of course this is you know these these two trains running are part of the the locomotive force of everything we're driving at here um utilizing the observations of science and leveraging that against our own indoctrination to only accept scientific fact uh while hopping over to the next train that's running on essentially magic the cryptocracy's magic is is nothing, you know? It's it's the inferior form of electricity that Tesla didn't get to implement. It's it's based on lies, it's based on its literal snake oil. Its origins are in the history of 
snake oil salesmanship. So we're going to come back to this question. You know, this is, as I've said recently, part of an armature. Say if you're sculpting something, you know, you would build out sort of the skeleton. This is a, this eh, might be the spine, might be the thoracic part of the spine. We're not, you know, I don't pretend to, um, to know everything that my daemon is going to be whispering, but I, you know, sometimes we get along better than other times, um, like any relationship. So we're going to be returning to this and we're going to be fleshing it, threading it, creating tapestry with many of the uh, beautiful fibers that we've woven already and some new stuff, of course. And before I leap off, you know, into um, a little bit of criminal purpose and we'll probably close out the non-subscribers and go heavy and deep into um, the interiority, you know, uh, relating to vagal theory and um, I'm not sure what you call it, you know, sort of um, this phenomena of sympathetic heart rates and... um, kind of, you know, quote, hooking up with um, the, the copacetic folks around us. So before we get into that stuff, um, and, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a trail between these two things. And so we'll cast a little bit of light as we as we move down to to the crossroads here. Um, I hesitate to say every kid has this experience, you know. It seems like expressions like that, due to the atomization and everything of uh, our society, don't don't quite land the way they do. I think a lot of it is just because there's just a lot of little bitches. You know, as Quintus Curtis likes to call them, nibblers nowadays who who would prefer to just stay where they are, right? Like McCarthy says, what's wrong with you is wrong all the way through you. And we just leave these people aside. But in looking at the, um, the cryptocracy's control of the dream, how, you know... What is it in relation to your dream? Is it the tone? Is it a weird green glow cast from the left side of your vision? Is it some pervasive hiccup that you don't quite know what a recurring sort of thing? I don't mean in the literal sense like I have this dream all the time. Because I don't think that's how the psychic driving or the psychological warfare quite works. I think it limits the space, the interior space. I think it limits the space. And so I want to offer this phrase, this idea, which will land for many of you and some of you will need some help, but DMs are always open. You know how when you're a little tiny kid 
and you're beginning to, in psychological terms, you know, you, you don't really have much of an identity. Uh, you know, much of that, your conscious, your conscience, excuse me, you know, comes out of your relationship with your mother. Here, here is a central point of the fact of multiplicities. You know, you are, the child begins to build himself somewhat in opposition to this. And, you know, he learns how to say no, he learns how to lie, he learns how to do other things that are against his conscience. But, as always, you know, this, this would be an area where, you know, the leftoid uh, fucking cryptocracy narrative that we have just sort of spurs out into, that's all there is. Okay, we've identified something halfway interesting and deep, and so we're just going to run with it for for 40 years and spend billions of dollars never examining the contradictions. Well, all they had to do was just examine, you know, the fact like, well, uh, is there something good that might arrive, you know, arise out of this process of the child differentiating himself uh, from his mother and yet working to understand or retain a conscience? Petersonian's, you know, behavioralist clinical ideas of this being relation, mostly, you know, related to lobster hierarchies and stuff is, again, as with time, you know, Rupert Sheldrake has some more interesting stuff to say about this, honestly. So I won't take that detour today. I will focus on this um, this bridge, you know, between, between whatever your experience of the cryptocracy's dream and however, what to ever, whatever extent this, uh, this may or may not affect you, because it certainly affects all of us differently. You know, the sheeple, the people who don't want to talk about anything and the people who have nothing to talk about, the people who have no idea uh, the people who would listen to this podcast who are, you know, as far as, as far as I can tell, unless there is a literal Black Lodge, um, is pretty far out on the forefront of, of working out the possibilities, you know? Good. That's where I like to be. Maybe I'm just, uh, no, I'm not. I think that's pretty accurate. So, child... One of the things that I recall from my own experience is that you have a sense that your mother possesses, and to a lesser degree your father or your aunt, it's not located on specifically the mother, right? It has to do with the inner workings of the child. This is another area that I believe is all screwed up. On the one hand, we disregard the multiplicities, we disregard the contextual things, in favor of this uh, inner child idea, while kind of ironically, or you know, just through sheer stupidity, perhaps ignoring the value of whatever that the actual interiority of the child, not the inner child. This is you know the adult casting back in a narcissistic fashion, as opposed to the actual interior experience of the child. Granted, I wonder, you know, sometimes if... I mean, we are not created equal. 
that we, you know, in this, folks who managed to find this podcast probably already are well over this idea. When are we going to get over the idea that um, this inequality extends into all realms? This would extend, I mean, we make such a big deal of the physical, right? Um, and I guess if you have, you know, a whole generation of kids with no fathers who never got hit or hit anybody uh, with anger, you know, this is where we're at. And that's, that's fine. But that's not my job. That's, that's the other guy's job. This is my job. And I'm here to tell you that in the same way that there are plenty of guys that whooped the shit out of all kinds of kids and got their asses whooped in all kinds of ways and found their way to girlfriends, found their ways to, you know, to wives and children and decent jobs and manhood or if, you know, if we want to call it that for the sake of this conversation. Similarly, there's an interior, you know, and there's many. There's not just one. There's not simply, um, you know, the Andrew Edwards austere, uh, incredibly, you know, uh, stunning vision, sort of standing in awe of the stupendous vastness of creation and relating. You know, there's, uh, there's like phenomenal social abilities, uh, phenomenal capacities of insight, just, you know, people can have insights upon themselves or others, etc. So, you know, while we all continue to drive our cars and then check in at the mall and grab our shit off the, off the shelves, let us never lose sight, even as we advance, uh, of the many, many facets of our being. Do not get... And again, yeah, we started out with some weapon explanation. We will always do this. I, uh, you know, I usually, I mean, every time that I record, I work out before. So I'm right with you on this. It's just that it seems to me that there is much, much more ground to take. And you know, may, my point being, maybe it's just not for everybody to take which would really follow historical trends, right? There's usually a shaman, and then there's the other people who want to hear the story. There's usually the storyteller and the audience. And, you know, I don't believe that on this podcast, that's the entirety of the relationship. I think we're all uh, uncertain, I hope, about who is the dreamer. And as I've said, if you're certain that you're the dreamer, then you are not the dreamer. I would let that shit sink in until it makes sense, if it doesn't already. So, back to our kid, right? I've had this experience, perhaps you have too, where you sort of impart a supernatural power onto the other person, on usually the, the parent, you know, the one uh, constructing the fence inside of which you're allowed or to operate. Some of us just blew right through that fence and, you know, were not beaten for it. Our parents chuckled. And so this encouraged it. And so you wind up with somebody like me or like you. And, you know, some of our mothers 
took note of this sense like, oh, he thinks that I can uh, read every move, that I can sense, you know, in a, a psychic sense that he's about to lie or cheat or steal or do some trickery. And so, you know, the shitty mother will leverage this. The good mother, the great mother, will notice in herself this false power. And if she's really good, she'll inform the child of it, you know, of the true nature of what's happening. That's exposing your, as we say, you know, as you see in the homeschooling circles and whatnot, expose your children to reality. Don't wrap them up in bubble wrap. That includes you, parent. Expose them to the reality of what is actually happening here. And don't let them live in fear or delusion that there are others outside of them, authority figures, who have great powers of um, control and insight into human nature such that you will never get away with anything. If you were lucky enough to have that second type of parent who probably themselves had some type of parent like that, who probably themselves, you know, as the story goes in my family, we're pretty certain that uh, the paternal side was not entirely lawful. You know, um, horse thieves is is what we um, jokingly, how we jokingly refer to it. Well, as, you know, externalities were funneled to the interior and as um, discussion, uh, you know, a speculative discussion arose in the 60s, 50s, etc., psychological, um, things did change, you know. Um, I'm not so sure that it's as drastic as it as as it may seem. I'm pretty sure that there were you know that females that that this is the this is the vast power that God has given to them. And this probably explains some of the weird fear and some of the desire to just let go of it all, you know, um basically by the past two generations of men that sort of allowed us to get here. Right, we all know that part of the story. So, what I want to focus here, just to be crystal clear, before we we leave our our non-subscribers behind, I think we've given them, you know, the the podcast advice is give your best stuff out for free. I'm trying to push uh, both sides of the paywall to be the best stuff. Maybe we'll burn out. Uh, we're just going to go with this model, though, and see what, what the fuck happens. So I won't leave you hanging here, non-subscribers, but I will ask you, if you find value in this, first of all, I'd ask you, can you find this anywhere else? Can you find anything remotely like it anywhere else? If so, send it my way. Maybe I can collaborate with them. If not, I would really appreciate it if you would... Uh, if you would choose to subscribe because it's going to be increasingly difficult for me to put out this type of voltage for for free and you know justify being absent from from other opportunities
right? I have a child. I have a family. And um, I'm looking to expand that, that family. So let's locate this. Let's make it personal. Remember when you were a child. Remember this sense that you had that you probably can't get away with it. Your mom's going to know. Okay, the way that your mom knew was, yes, there is a deep connection there, and it, it is a magical connection, but your mother is not a witch. Your mother is not um, Bene Gesserit, you know, who was genetically uh, altered over thousands of years in order to have developed these super senses and, you know, sixth senses and um, etheric psychic connections with their children. That's not your mom. You know, your mom was magical. Maybe your mom has that potentiality, or my mom did, or, or, or the neighbor's mom did. But the fact of the matter is, you, for whatever reasons, gave it away. You revealed what we call, you know, we know as a tell. You tipped her off. Whether your, your plan was too complicated and it required, you know, um, too, many, too many details and too much forward thinking such that your little brain could not pull it off, or probably you just had a little tick in your normal behavior and mom registers this because that's mom's damn job. And then she says, what's going on with you? What do you think you're doing? And then, even if you don't reveal it, she's on to you. She knows something's up. What does this have to do with 2021 grown-ass men and becoming a criminal of purpose? I think you know. I think we all know that... The neotenization, I think that's the way you say it. The, this, this feature of uh, the proliferation of neotenous creatures among us. This being the sort of childlike, the, the perseveration of the childlike into adulthood. The preference for the cute, perhaps over the clever... Um, or perhaps the clever over the willful. However you want, you wish to formulate it. It has been remarked, I think, with uh, general accuracy that we say men late 20s on up to, you know, maybe late 50s. I don't know. This whole kind of band of... Uh, fighting age males and and those on each side of that spectrum. I think there were always those on each side of that spectrum which were still called to fight or still wished to fight or still had insights to offer about the fight. You understand that as recently as the 1960s, I believe, um... These men would have been older. 
but I'm referring to men who did not fuck around. Men that did not uh, pussyfoot and overanalyze and procrastinate until the procrastination became the identity. You know, we do not live among men like this. We live among men defined in, in many ways uh, by the baseball hat, the stupid blue, Bluetooth clip thing in, its, in his ear, driving a PT cruiser, you know, usually picking up groceries for his wife and then on to some completely jejune activity like golf. And on that note, as we pivot over to a pretty deep, in-depth, and lengthy discussion about the, the interior of the criminal of purpose, um, we will say sayonara to the non-subscribers. And once again, urge you um, to just go over to Patreon, sign up, or go to the website uh, you can goldengoatguild.net maybe the easiest way of course the home base is Instagram the handle being goldengoatguild you can find in the link tree everything you can find the Patreon the website the store where you can support this effort by purchasing some incredible t-shirts designed by my wife my loving very talented beautiful wife you can find uh, books, autographed copies, etc. All of these things are of very high quality, if not um, the highest possible quality. And yeah, that's it. Otherwise, you know, you can monitor everything on Instagram. There's a couple of rather large projects coming to fruition now that I will keep you informed of. In all seriousness, uh, thanks for your attention, and I hope you got some pretty serious value out of this discussion. And if you did, please force it down the throats of your neighbors or into their ear holes, you know, whatever, whatever seems appropriate. Okay, hold on subscribers, we will be right back.